I was thinking this weekend about um, military leadership. We lost Mad Dog, uh, Mad Dog Mattis. He was a, a, a leader. What? How does Mattis um, compare to our next one? Now I have a prediction that it's going to be General Petraeus. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, what's the difference in military style and leadership between the two? So. Most uh, generals make their mark in their fighting roles. Mad Doc Mattis has been a military marine four-star general. And um, both Petraeus and Mattis were fighting asymmetric battles against insurgents, so it wasn't a conventional battle. But um, Mattis is revered in the Marine Corps, and um, he's called Mad Dog Mattis because of his comments to the Marines. You know, you don't leave your foxhole at night, you uh, stand your ground. You, he once stood post for a Marine at Christmas time, go kill them all, you know, that kind of craziness. But what's missed is his second nickname, which is the Warrior Monk. So um, he's very thoughtful, well-reasoned, smart. He's a student. He has a, 12 books that all leaders have to read. So um, his tactics and his general approach and his being beloved by the Marines has to do much with what Eisenhower called servant leader. Petraeus, on the other hand, is brilliant because He's an architect, he's a thinker, he is an, a very good administrator. It was his ideas to, uh, in the Sunni-Shia conflict, um, to pay insurgents not to fight. It was just brilliant, you know. Against all other generals, he went against them and did his own thing. Um, and giving weapons to insurgents, other uh, people who would fight insurgents. So winning the hearts and minds of soldiers. So I was thinking about those two, that is the, um, the difference in military leadership styles um, as it applies to our particular Midrash. Now the Midrash is troping on chapter three of Exodus. And it says, and Moses was a shepherd of his father-in-law's flock. Very strange language. You don't drive a flock, you shepherd a flock. It's a very unusual word. Secondly, what is Achaham Nibbo? You don't take them to a Nibbo, you take them to grazing grounds. Vayova El Haro Elohim, and he just happens to come upon the mountain of God in Chorev. And as we know in the future, that, uh, um, that that will be the place of the giving of the law. So the Midrash is bothered by this. It's bothered by the fact that he is by Yinhag. Esatzon, Acha Hamidbar, why would he go such a distance to the edge of humanity or whatever? 
And why do we need to know that he is the son for his father-in-law? He's a shepherd. So let's dive into the to the Midrash. And the Midrash is going to tell us that both Moses and David were shepherds. And we really didn't need to know what their prior military experiences, their prior employment history, especially for their fathers-in-law. But we're going to find out because the Midrash will fill in the gaps. So I want to show you what that does. Compare it to a Tanfuma, and then show you how the Dagob tropes even on that. He does a Midrash on the Midrash. So, um, we will see elsewhere in Tanakh that the relationship between Moshe and B'nai Israel is one of a shepherd and a flock. So you could say, well, we want to know how a shepherd he is, because later on in Psalm 77, Mizmol uh, Asaf, the Asaf relates the miracles of the splitting of the Red Sea and concludes, you led your nation like a flock of sheep by the hand of Moshe and Aaron. So there again, there is this metaphor of the sheep. And Yeshayahu, Isaiah 63, also incorporates the image of Moshe as a shepherd in his final prophecy. Okay, so then what is the connection between shepherding and leading? I mean, obviously, he's going to be the leader. So let's look at this Midrash, which I've worked through this Midrash for many, many years um, because it is a post-exilic, post-Khurban Midrash. That is, after the destruction of the temple, it says, Le'olam ein hashchina zaza mikotel ma'aravi. That's where we get the idea that the Kotel, the Wailing Wall, is in fact um, the place that has residual Shekhinah consciousness. Nowhere else on the Harabais. So that's why we all gather by the Kotel for 2,000 years now. Ein Hashkina Zazami Kotel Maravi. And it comes from this Medrash Rabba uh, on Moshe Hayaroer, according to Rabbi Acha. And he brings this beautiful posuk that you and I learnt in Shia Shirim, Song of Songs 2. He is, the lover is standing behind the wall. Kotel, Kotel Maravi, Koslein. Meaning he's still waiting for her. Still waiting for her. And it says in Psalm 11, so the psalmist also says, Psalm 11, verse 4, Psalm 11, verse 4, the Lord Behechel Kodcho, the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, the psalmist is in the time of David, in the time of, of the temple. So God is in his holy temple. Adonai Bashamayim Kiso. But God is also in the heavens. I'm going to be in two places. Einov Yechazu, his eyes behold, Apapod Yivchanu, his eyelids Yivchanu, Bochen, he examines, judges, Bnei Adam. So the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in the heaven, Kiso Bashamayim. And so the rabbis say that, and, and in the psalmist, his footstool is down here. So he's up there and he's down here. The Oretz Hadom Raglov, the land is the, his footstool, right? What I'm interested in is this word, his, his eyelids 
His eyes are watching and his eyelids are judging B'nai Odom, Yivchan, Bochem, okay? So how do I know that he hasn't left the Kotel Maravi? Because his eyes are still watching, meaning there's Hashgacha, there is a kind of providence. So you could say that that's a parallelism, just like his eyes are watching, his, his eyelids are judging. But you could also say, even though, but, meaning it could be not a parallelism, but in opposition. Although his eyes are watching, better be watch out, his eyelids are judging. Let's see what the Medrash says. Omar Rabyanai. Afalpi even though his Shekhinah has removed itself from the Kotel, from the, from the temple, his eyes are still watching over it. But watch out. His eyelids are, going to, are still judging men. Don't think he's, he's out to lunch. Yes, his throne is in the heaven. Yes, the temple has been destroyed. But look what the Medrashis has done. It's taken a pre-destruction verse in the Psalms in which it's just, a, it's just an innocent thing. God is in his home and his throne is upstairs and there's a wonderful connection and he's looking at us and he's judging us. But now this is post Khurban. This is after the tragedy. And so the Medrashis say, well, okay, even after the tragedy, he, the Shekhinah hasn't left the Kotel. It may have left everything else. And his eyes are still on the Kotel. And he's still judging us. Don't think he has left. So that is a text of um, comfort, in a sense. Don't think that he's left us. He's still watching us. So then the rabbis use the parable, the mashal, which I love because it hides more than it reveals. Mashal So a king had an orchard, ubanabo migdal gavoa, and inside the orchard he builds this tower, betziva hamelech. And he commands, So now he calls in Mexican migrants to, to take the cotton field or the orchard of apples or whatever. And so now the king addresses all these workers and says, Anyone who does well in his work, he will re- take his reward from the paycheck, from the quartermaster. And anyone who is lazy in his work will be given into demus. Demus is a Latin word. It could be a letter of reprimand or it could be an indictment. But it's bad. <laughs> Some kind of demus. Okay, that is the mashal. Well, in the mashal, we are told... Ubana bo Migdal. So what do you think the tower is there for? Huh? Right, but but the tower is built then. There is a tower. I would call it a watchtower. So they know that they're working in the fields, but there's a huge tower that's watching them. Isn't that like a famous like prison architect style uh-huh. have a watchtower yeah. in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. What do we need? That, what, the, the, the narrator doesn't say anything more. He just says he built a watchtower. Nothing more. 
And then he tells them, you didn't need that piece of information. And then he tells them, look, if you do well, you'll do this. And if you don't do well, I'll... So clearly the watchtower's function is to actually know and distinguish to distinguish between those who are lazy and those who are conscientious. That's the function of the tower. They look at the tower and they realize they're being watched. Big brother. Now let's look at the nimshah. Hamelech, oh, say Melech Malchei Hamlochem, of course. Hapardes, the orchard, Zehaolam, Shenotan Akodesh Borchul Yisrael Betochalishmo HaTorah. Ah, so the work, the poalim, is the Am Yisrael, the Israelites. The orchard is the world. And the work you have to do is Shmirat HaTorah. That's the work, the spiritual toil. The Hitnoimayim, and God says to Am Yisrael, Mishehu Shoymes HaTorah, anyone who keeps the Torah, Hare Gan Eden Lefonov, meaning Yitol Scharo Mishalem, he'll get his reward from the quartermaster. Well, that translates here into he'll get his reward in the Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden. And who doesn't keep the Torah mitzvahs goes to hell. It's a very symmetrical mashal and nimshal. Really, there are no hidden secrets here. God says, I'm giving you the world. That's the paradise. I'm giving you the work to do. That's the Torah. The hitna. I made a tanai. I made a condition. If you do well, you'll get ganet. And if you don't, you go to hell. What's missing from this nimshal? He doesn't mention the Mikdal. It's absent. Well, it's in the next line. Af HaKadosh Now he adds a Knech and says, even though Af who even though it looks like his Shrina has been removed from the Beit HaMikdash. Why? Because it's in tatters. It's just destroyed. So he's not around. He's out to lunch. Meaning, it looks like there's no Migdal. The Migdal is gone. Obviously, the Migdal is the Beis HaMikdash. You look at the Mix HaMikdash, you see God's presence. The workers look at the tower. They know that there's some, someone representing the king watching them, right? But it's destroyed. So he adds this as an addendum. Af. Even though there's no migdal in my nimshal, because the migdal is no longer, even though it looks like the Shrina has been removed from the Beit HaMikdash, now he brings that verse. Einov yechazu apapov. His eyes are constantly watching. Yivchanu v'neyotam. This is really, a, for me, was a, like a post-Holocaust kind of midrash, right? Like, where, where was he in Auschwitz? He was out to lunch. He wasn't there. He didn't, he didn't send a Moshe Rabbeinu to save us from the Mitzrayim, from the rigors of Egypt. But what's happened to this verse? It's been mangled. The verse in Psalms is, Hashem everything is la-di-da. He's in his Heichal, Kodcho, that's the tower. Hashem Bashamayim Kiso. And it goes all the way up. That's the footstool, he's sitting on the throne. And guess what? Because of that connection, 
His eyes are watching and he's in judging man because of that connection. But that connection's been destroyed. So comes the post-exilic, post-Holocaust medrash and claims, now listen guys, I want you to know even though it's destroyed down here, he's still watching from up there. So it's it's an outstanding medrash. It looks like he's not in Auschwitz. Now we're going to focus on that word bochen. What do you mean he's looking at us and he's protecting us and he's watching us and he's judging us? Well, in the parable, we know what it was. He's still judging you to see, are you doing Shomer Torah Mitzvahs? Or are you doing the crops? Are you pulling the orchard? So the first is, who's the object of his gaze? That's number one. Who's the object of his desire? Tzadik. It says here, the Tzadik. Shenema Hashem Tzadik Yivchon. It says in verse 5, here, who does he quote? Hashem Tzadik Yivchon. The righteous one, he tries. son of And the wicked and the who loves violence, his soul hates. So it's clear that he's splitting between the righteous and the wicked, and he is bochein, he tries the righteous, means he tests them. He's testing them. The Rosha who loves violence, we know he's already been tested and he's failed. So he's now testing the righteous one. Is, is there no failure in Judaism? It's always like retakes. Yes, tzaddik, sheva tzaddik yipol v'kam. The psalmist says, the righteous one falls seven times and gets up. And the Baal Shem HaKadosh says, that doesn't mean that you're born a tzaddik. Oh, because you're the genetics of a tzaddik, you are born to keep rising, get up. That separates the leader from the follower. No, you become a tzaddik by falling seven times. By constantly failing, you become wise. And now he's going to tell us the mahu bochanon. Okay, now you're telling me who he, who is the object of his examination and his trial. But what are the tools of his trial? What is the test? Bamaretzon. Now we're coming back to our verse. Umoshe haya roetzon, and David was a roetzon, and Moses was a roetzon. It turns out that there is no accident of history. So we do need to know what his previous employment history was. It's not just an accident. It was precisely the shepherding that tested his leadership in which God then chooses who the next leader is. Why? Because it says here from this verse, Hashem Tzadik Yifron. He wants to try the person to examine him if he's worthy of being called Tzadik. Ki Tzadik Hashem. Because God is a tzaddik, so he wants to see, do you have my qualities? So he says, I'm going to test you with sheep. For instance, Bodak Ledovid Batson, he examined David, who was the youngest son, just minding his own business in the, in the, in the fields, and he found him to be a roe yafer, an excellent shepherd, meaning in his craft of shepherding, he found him to excel. Shenema, as it says, by Yikocheu Mimlachtoson, Mahu Mimlochoson. So this is 
Psalm 78. Verse 70. So it says, He chose his servant David. He took him from the sheepfolds. Well, that just means where he found him. But obviously, the Midrash is using that as a proof text as to he took him from the sheepfolds. Why? Because that's where he was examining him. That was the testing ground. How good a shepherd are you? Now, let's see what he did that made him such a great leader. What he first did, this is Petraeus, he separated the two. He said, I've got to separate the Sunni from the Shia. I've got to separate the big fat cows from the little Shepsalas. And he would take out the small ones to, to graze. They will see the very fine grass and be able to digest it because they were very small. Then he would take out the older animals because they could handle the thicker stubs. And then he would take out the oxes and the real alpha males that they could consume the very difficult grains. That's absolutely brilliant. Oh my Kodesh Baruch Hu. So he passed his test. What was the test? In shepherding, in leadership. And God said, Mi shehu yodea liros hatzon ishlefi kocho. Someone like you, who's able to administer scarce resources and hand out this one to the women and children, this one to the young people, and this one to the old fogies. Yavo v'yire ba'ami, come. You shepherd my people. Meaning, this is the kingdom of Israel. You're going to be the king of Israel. I'm going to need a good administrator, a good general Petraeus to administer what's going on. Now, so too, Moshe Rabbeinu, and God is testing him. Why? When he was shepherding in the in the wilderness, one of the little Shepsalov ran away. Now instead of saying, Well, I gotta cut my losses, every single sheep was precious to him. So he runs after it, until he comes to a brook. And this poor Shepsalov bends down to drink. When Moses caught up with him, I didn't realize you were running away from thirst. I thought you were just trying to escape. Oh, ye Fato, you must be really tired now. And so he put him on his shoulder and went back to the sheep. Now, what is that quality and how does it differ from David's quality? This is a servant leader. He doesn't let one marine down. Mattis goes and takes his post at Christmas time, right? So he could be with his family. That's a servant leader. Moshe doesn't let one Shepsula run away. He 
chases him. And then when he sees what he's doing, he realizes he's empathetic with his flock. There's an empathy here. It's not just kind of an administrator. <clears throat> you have such empathy to lead Linhog. Notice that that connects with Vayinhag Esatzon, a very strange word, because that's nothing to do with sheep or shepherding. Ah, Linhog Tsono Shel Bosovodom. You have Rachamim to lead the flock, the flock of mere mortals, and they're just sown, they're just sheep. Then I need you to shepherd my people Israel. Two different times of history, two different periods of history. Here, which I need someone with Rachamim in order to. Have compassion for them in their tsar, in their suffering in Egypt. So that's the kind of leadership I need. I need a servant leader, and I need you to be that. So the Medrash is saying that there's two types of leadership, and they apply to two different periods in Jewish history. One coming out of Egypt, and one nation building. Nation building requires the Davidic type of leadership, the Petraeus type. And coming out of Egypt and out of exile and out of the horrors of uh, Mitzrayim, they required a suffering servant, a servant who's a leader, servant leader, who's going to uh, have compassion for them. And um, there is a Tanchuma that I didn't print up for you, that there is another parallel between shepherding and leading B'nai Israel. The Tanchuma says a shepherd with only one sheep can be attentive to each and every need of his sheep. A shepherd of a large herd cannot provide individualized care. Likewise, God calls B'nai Yisrael Seh in the singular. God and Moshe attended to each individual as if they were the only sheep in the flock, providing each with its own unique needs. The shepherd leader parallel demonstrates God and Moshe's love for B'nai Yisrael. So I am very moved by this Midrash because it's taken the whole verse, and we'll go back to the Pshat now, Moshe Hayaro'eh Estzon Yisrael Kosno, and the psalm tells us that, um, Psalm 11 tells us, Hashem Behechel Kosho pre-exilic, Hashem Bashamayim Kiso, but even after the exile, going back to after the Mishikhar of Beis Amikdosh, right? Mishikhar of Beis Amikdosh, Ein Hashkina Zoz because he looks upon it still and he still examines men. What's switched though? Instead of examining all men now, it's Bameh Balchan, the Tzaddik. So apparently we've shifted from pre exilic all men to post exilic singular men. And how does he do it? He does it through their employment history. So the way a person behaves in business and the way he conducts himself, his ethics and his treatment of his juniors and his leadership qualities, that's how he is 
being examined. So after the Churban, implied in this Midrash, is a contraction from all men, every man, to son of man, the Tzavik. In addition, this has nothing to do with an exile. Why did he bring up where does the Shekhinah after the destruction? What's that really got to do with Moshe and David? Why is he putting the juxtaposition of leadership qualities and how God examines the Tzaddik as to the whole theology of where is the Shekhinah after the Khurban? Is it? Because there's a machloka. Some say it never left the um, the, the top of the Beis Amikdash. Some say it didn't leave the Mount, Temple Mount, and some say it didn't leave the Kotel. So there's a difference of opinion where it is. That's why we're not allowed to go onto the Temple Mount because it might still have the kedusha there. So I was struggling with why he's doing this, and is it because? after the exile and we don't have the presence of God's Behechel Kodshon that somehow he has withdrawn to the heavens as it says in Eicha, right? He's got his outer lunch, he's left that he's withdrawn to the heavens so then who are his representatives down here? Oh, the Tzaddik now is the sole representative of the Divine right? The Gemara says in Gittin Doshan ben Amsuni. Ben Amsuni had a whole yeshiva that was devoted to the interpretation of the word et, aleph tov. Voracious Borolakim, et hashamayim. Now, in biblical grammar, that just signifies the accusative. But if every word is sacred, then even the aleph tov, the et, has to include something beyond itself. So he's going through the Torah and he's writing this wonderful thesis until he gets to the verse Es Hashem Elokeh Es Hashem, meaning the object of your fear is the Lord. Et Hashem Elokeh Et Larabus Ma. He throws up his hands and says, Hey, gotta go home. Shut down the kolo. Stop collecting. <laughs> There's nothing I can compare to the divine to. How can you compare anything to the divine? Archib or Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva said, Oh yes, Rabbi Akiva remembers post-exilic, post-Khurban, he's been through all the Holocaust. You can down here in this world compare something to the divine, and that is a Talmud. That's what he's saying here, right? The tzaddik now, in a strange way, is our only connection to Hashem Behechel Kodshon. Yes, we we are arguing where is the Shechina after the Churban? It's at the Kotel Maravi. But then why would he use that verse, Hashem Behechel Kodshon? Because of the end of it, his eyelids. Yifchanu b'nei Odom. His eyelids are examining, testing who of the b'nei Odom will turn out to be the tzaddik. And I'll give you an example of Moshe and David. So this has nothing to do with the exegetical trigger. The trigger for the exegesis comes from the problems of the semantics of this verse. What do you mean by Yanav, right? But it turns out that all this serves the purpose of the Bala Midrash, of that zone, Maret zone, to prove are you the tzaddik or not in terms of not being pious. It's nothing to do with being a, he's a tzaddik. 
but leadership qualities. And there are two types of leadership qualities. There's the mosaic type of leadership quality, the servant leader, the dog, mad dogmatist. And then there is the administrative leader, who is Petraeus. So in the Merrimark, this forms the exegetical trigger for this, which is how do we deal with the divine in a post-Holocaust, post-Hulban way. It's a very profound way of looking at it. And I want to end by looking at my Dago, my wonderful Dago that I've been struggling with for four or five years. And the Dago is going to come back to two things. One, Yesh Lefaresh Fazer, this is in Pasha Smokes, Dago Machne Ephraim, Al Derech de Isa Bemedresh, Shemoshi Rabbeinu, the David Amelech, Zochulius Roe Yisrael, Al Yideh Shahoyim, Etchilo Roe Tzon, Bechesed of Rachem and Gedol. So he first quotes this Medrash that using the Medrash on Shia Shirim, which we had, which we had quoted here, right? In Yezer Omed Koslenu, Shia Shirim 2.2. And we actually had learnt this Shia Shirim. He quoted that it was David HaMelech and Moshe Rabbeinu who merited to be shepherds of Israel because they were initially shepherds of flock. Not only that, their leadership style was Bechesed Barachim Gedolim. Now he conflates, the Daigle just conflates the two because the Medrash in Shia Shirin conflates the two. This Medrash in Shmos Rabba did not. He split the two, right? Two different styles. But he put them together and said, You did it with Chesed at Rachman. I wanted to suggest there's two types of leadership. Okay. So you should shepherd my people. Now he comes along and connects the pshat with the drush through a remez. So he's picking up on that very difficult word, vayinhag. The shepherd doesn't drive the zone, they follow him. He's driving, he's leading the zone. Now comes his knech, Acha Hamidbar. Acha Hamidbar. Strange, Acha Hamidbar, right? Rashi says, He took them so far away because he was so ethical, he didn't want to steal the grazing place of other shepherds. So he goes them right to the edge of humanity, the edge of the grazing, where the midbar begins to avoid. So that talks about his ethical qualities. But Acha Hamidbar, the Degel says in the Beremes, Hainu Zocha Achakach, meaning it's not Acha Hamidbar. He was by Yin and now, fast forward, he's going to be the shepherd of Am Yisrael, Acha, later on. Hamidbar doesn't mean Hamidbar, 
Remember, there's no vowels in the li- in the Hebrew Bible, so you could say afterwards, Hamadaber. He's going to be a nohag of speaking tone, speaking sheep, which are the Bnei Israel. Hainu ha'adam, not just a sheep, but an adam. Hamadaber, not hamidbar. Shehem Yisrael shekruin adam. So suddenly, the Daigle has switched in the Pshat by changing the vowels from and he led the tzon, the sheep, to the edge of the desert. He switched it around <coughs> to he led the tzon. Later on, Hamadaber, they were no longer tzon, they were Yisrael, Shekru and Odom. In beginning, they, he was uh, shepherding animals. He was shepherding Bale Medaber for Kalahavim. It's not one of the more difficult tables. But what's so cute about it is that he did a shortcut. We had to go through this whole medrash to get from the pshat to the drush. And the daigle cuts, cuts, through the, cuts through the chap and says, no, 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 it's right there. The remez is right there. Instead of hamidbar, it's hamadaber. It's just so, it's so cute how he just cuts the chap. But I thought that this was just an amazing takeoff because it's able to touch on so many things, styles of leadership and the tzaddik, and what a tzaddik has to do, and there are two types of tzaddikim, and there are two types of leadership, there's the servant leader, and there's the administrative leader, there's the, the matis type, and the Petraeus type, and all that serves the exegetical trigger to that verse in Psalms, in Psalm 11, that it's all very nice for you, King David, to say Hashem Behechel Kocho, but what do we do after the Hechel is destroyed? How do we keep this religion alive post-traumatically? Now, the Christians would say, you don't deserve it, right? Justin Martyr, Jerome, even Oregon are all saying you have no right to Eretz Israel and the temple anymore because God spent his wrath on you and therefore you have no right to Am Israel, to, the, to Eretz Israel and to the land of Israel. This is the proof. The proof is in history. So the Balamidrash writing in the 4th and 5th century is looking at that verse as the trigger. But now, wait a minute, Rav Acha says, what's happened after the Heichel? Do you think he's just out to lunch? He's left this world? No. No. Even though there is no Heichel and God is in the Shemaim, he's still looking on the temple. And not only that, that's in the Kotel Amaravi, in the Western Wailing Wall, but his, his eyelids are looking and searching B'nai Odom to choose who's going to represent him in this post-Holocaust world, this nightmare landscape of nuclear holocaust, right? Who is he going to choose to represent him down here? The Tzadik. And what are the qualities he's going to use? Oh, back to the shepherding. Is it going to be a servant leader? Is it going to be, a, is it going to be a, an administrative leader? For me, um, the revolution of Hasidut is a new type of tzaddik. 
the Baal Shem Tov's revolution is that the tzaddik isn't someone who can just be a Rabbi Kiva Eka and trip off every word in Shas backwards or put a pin in the shaft. It has to require a different skill set to get us through these times. There was a failure before the Holocaust by our leadership to see in Europe what was happening. You expect the leaders to be able to foresee what's happening and tell the people, get out, you know? Everyone agrees there was a failure leadership, whether it was Litva Shurabim or Tzadikim or Fasida Shurabim, there was a failure. So in this post-Holocaust period now, God is looking to the men, Yivchanu, to examine what kind of leader will get us through this next period, this next post-Holocaust period. That's where we're at in our Midrashic trajectory. No, I'm saying that the, all the previous ones failed, so we need a new model, for sure. We need a new model of someone who looks beyond the Litvish, Hasidish, Orthodox, non-Orthodox. It has to be post-denominational, post-feminist, inclusive, open, you know. We're now in shutdown. Everyone is hunkered down in their own little tribal uh, ghettos, right? Ghettos of the mind. We have 60 shuls in Chicago because people don't want to dub them together anymore. They want to go to, I want to go to here, and he, he does it this way, and he does the Yatzmach, and he does this, and he's a Mashiach, and he's not. Everyone's in their little spiritual ghettos. It needs a new kind of leadership that uh, that will be much more inclusive and charismatic.